Being good at murdering somebody isn't a skill that most people would want to be good at, but in 1828, two Irishmen, William Burke and William Hare, became experts in snuffing out the lives of others. Their skill was not shown in the simple fact that they murdered people. That in itself doesn't require too much skill. What set them apart from the rest was that they were careful to kill in ways which didn't mark the bodies, so that these bodies could be sold to an anatomist for dissection. They also murdered people who fulfilled certain criteria. It was only when they forgot this criteria that their mistakes began to catch up with them. This, our second podcast in Edinburgh's body-snatching period, delves into the teeming tenements of old Edinburgh to get an understanding of life in the bottom rung of the ladder. We'll look at the traces of evidence left for us today and explore one of the worst streets then in the capital. We've got another exhibition for you that focuses on that street and a free resource about Birkenhair which we'll think you really enjoy. We've got a question from one of our listeners and news of a new competition. In our last podcast, we looked at the body-snatching period which saw Edinburgh's burial grounds become battlegrounds, where the authorities and families of the deceased tried to keep Edinburgh's freshly dug graves safe from the hands of the capital's anatomists, students and professional resurrectionists. We looked at some of the ways in which they tried to protect the burial grounds, using everything from raised walls to metal cages around the graves called mortsaves to watchtowers in the graveyards. The story of these troubled times is covered in Body Snatchers and Burke and Hare, an interactive guided tour around their Edinburgh. Now we're going to look in some detail about Burke and Hare and some of their victims next podcast, but to really understand why these two were able to go on a killing spree which would shock Edinburgh to its very core, we need to understand their hunting grounds. This week's free resource is a contemporary newspaper article, or a series of contemporary newspaper articles, which will show you just how intense the shock and revulsion against Birkenhair was. For many of the murderers, Little Lodging House and Tanner's Close was the base of operations for the two Williams and their womenfolk. It was linked to the surgery of Dr Robert Knox by the grass market and the Cowgate. The two murderers would have brought some of the bodies along the Cowgate and up High School Wine to Surgeon Square, where the privately run anatomy classes of Dr Knox took place. Walking up High School Wind really is following in the footsteps of Burke and Hare. At the bottom of High School Wind, where it meets the Cowgate, is the bottom of another wind on the other side of the road, Blackfriars Wind, and this is our focus for the rest of this podcast. Blackfriars Wind still exists, although in a slightly different form. The wind was altered significantly in 1867 when the Improvement Act decreed that it needed to be changed considerably. The eastern side was swept away, including the peculiar little Cardinal Beaton's Palace, which sat on the Cowgate. The Improvement Act may have come roughly 40 years after the Birkenhair killings, but even in their day, the Wind was one of the poorest areas in Edinburgh. The building of the new town saw Edinburgh's richer citizens move out of the old town in favour of cleaner, larger, more impressive buildings to the north of the site of the old Norloch. Now, although this didn't happen overnight, by the time of Birkenhair in the 1820s, late 1820s, 1828, many areas of the old town had become considerably poorer than they had been only a few decades before. William Hare had married his way into the ownership of a lodging house in Tanner's Close, and the first two victims died inside Tanner's Close. Now, out of these, the first one was uh, 
a pensioner who died from natural causes, and the second, a man named Joseph, had fallen ill. He was killed using what had become the modus operandi of the two Williams. He was plied with alcohol, rendered insensible and suffocated. Now, he wasn't choked. This would have left obvious marks on the body. Instead, one of the men would sit in the victim's chest, asphyxiating him, holding his hands down whilst the other placed his hand over the mouth and nose of the unfortunate target. This way, the body would be deprived of oxygen, and yet no marks were made on the corpse. This type of killing became known as burking. Very effective, very hard way to work out exactly what happened to the body. How the two men killed their victims was one way they evaded capture for so long. The other thing was how they hunted for their prey, and they did indeed hunt. Effectively, Burke Hare and their womenfolk, Nellie McDougall and Maggie Laird, used criteria when picking out their victims. Don't pick an Edinburgh person who is known to many. Don't pick somebody strong. Choose somebody who is weak. Choose somebody who is poor. Choose somebody who is unwanted, who didn't have anybody to kick up a fuss if they didn't come home that night. Lodging houses like the one in Tanner's Close were becoming increasingly common in Edinburgh. Capital's population had exploded over a short period of time. A number of factors caused this, but there were problems in Ireland, including the infamous potato famine. And we know that Burke and Hare themselves had come across from Ireland. Blackfriars Wind and St Mary's Wind. Now, both of these streets now exist as streets rather than wines. Between Blackfriars Wind and St Mary's Wind still exists today St Patrick's Catholic Church, which is pretty big evidence that actually this was an area with an awful lot of Irish people. Blackfriars Wind was an area of prostitution, alcoholism, extreme poverty and decaying buildings. And of course, there's a large Scots population there as well. Protestant or Catholic didn't make a difference. People were struggling to make ends meet. Life was very, very hard. There was very little in the way of support. And in fact, we see from the the Victorian period, the sort of early Victorian period, that a lot of the support has a very distinct middle-class Protestant kind of... um, background to it. In other words, if people were drinking, then they were drinking and that was causing the problems rather than the problems meant that they were drinking to forget about them. And of course, um, if you happen to be Catholic or Irish, this was pointed out with increasing regularity. Um, So there's obviously a kind of a, a bigotry involved there. Now, it's no surprise that much of the the poverty in Edinburgh took place in Blackfriars Wind. A lot of the rich people had moved out. This area wasn't a particularly um, an area of well-built houses. And in fact, what began to happen was houses became lodging houses or rooms were sublet and then within the rooms, different areas were let out. And in fact, at some parts, um, and we know this from Blackfriars Wind in the 1850s, the difference between one room and another was a sheet of paper over a if you were lucky, a kind of a, a wooden framework. The conditions were absolutely appalling. Not every place, obviously, had any access to running water. Toilets were absolutely out of the question. And in fact, in some cases, you didn't even get a window. Um, and absolutely no source of natural light for many, many of the rooms. And Blackfriars Wind um, was so bad that it featured in a book called Blackfriars Wind Analyzed and also um, Day and Nights in the Winds of Edinburgh. The winds may have looked picturesque in most of our exhibition images, but look carefully at the photograph of Beaton's Palace. Now, some of the exhibition pictures were made in the late 18th century, when the area still had enough people who were able to pay to support the fabric of the building. But by the time the photograph was taken by a man called Archibald Burns, you can just look at the photograph and see that this was a building which 
didn't in any way look picturesque. In fact, the book he uh, published photographs in was called Picturesque Bits from Old Edinburgh, and there was more than a hint of irony about the title. Have a look at the photograph. It really does give you a, a warts and all view of what this area must have looked like about 30 years after the Burke and Hare period. Okay, we're now moving on to a new slot in the show. Hopefully one we'll be getting more of, and that's um, questions from the audience. Now, um, quite embarrassed to admit that this time I have a question and I don't have an answer for it, but I will uh, endeavour to get an answer. And that was in our last podcast, we happened to mention that w- one of the Edinburgh mobs stole something that we called the Portsburg drum. Now, Portsburg is N's B-U-R-G-H in exactly the same way that Edinburgh earns B-U-R-G-H. But we don't say Edinburgh, we say Edinburgh. So is it Portsburgh or is it Portsborough? The Portsborough area doesn't exist anymore. Well, the area exists, but it's not known as Portsborough. However, there are some buildings, new buildings that have been built which have taken titles from the past, and one of them is Portsborough. So what I'm going to try and do is find a taxi driver. Um, They're not having a happy lot just now, given the fact that Edinburgh's been hit very very badly by snow over the last couple of weeks which is why i haven't been able to get this answer for you but i will try and find a taxi driver um speak to a few of them and try and find out whether this area is known as the portsburg or whether it's known as the portsborough so thank you for our reader or one of our listeners for that question we've also got a competition um our new body snatchers and burke and hair piece of software the one that a lot of this information is coming from that's going to be due for release later on this week one lucky winner will be able to download that for free all they have to do, and all you have to do to enter the competition, is email us the answer to this question. What distinctive building stood at the foot of Blackfriars Wind? I'll say again, what distinctive building stood at the foot of Blackfriars Wind? The exhibition should be able to give you some clues. This podcast should be able to give you some clues. Um, email sales at actualeducation.co.uk and you can email us your questions and also your competition entries. And we'll choose one person at random and they will win that prize. Next episode, we get to know Burke and Hare a little bit better, including meeting some of their victims, a prostitute and one young boy called Daft Jamie. Um, Unfortunate Daft Jamie, as it turned out to be. You'll also discover where you can see William Burke today, or rather where you can see certain parts of William Burke. Um, There'll be another competition to win another new interactive guided tour from us and a free resource which will let you literally follow in the footsteps of William Burke and William Hare. Have a good night.